Section thirty two of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Friday, March twenty second, nineteen o six. Susie's Biography Langdon's Illness and Death. Susie tells of interesting men whom her father met in England and Scotland. Dr. John Brown, Mr. Charles Kingsley, Mr. Henry W. Stanley, Sir Thomas Hardy, Mr. Henry Irving, Robert Browning, Sir Charles Dilke, Charles Reed, William Black, Lord Houghton, Frank Buckland, Tom Hughes, Anthony Trollope, Tom Hood, Dr. MacDonald, and Harrison Ainsworth. Mr. Clemens tells of meeting Lewis Carroll, of luncheon at Lord Houghton's, letters from Mr. and Mrs. Clemens to Dr. Brown. Mr. Clemens' regret that he did not take Mrs. Clemens for a last visit to Dr. Brown. From Susie's Biography I stopped in the middle of Mama's early history to tell about our trip to Vassar, because I was afraid I would forget about it. Now I will go on where I left off. Some time after Miss Emma Nye died, Papa took Mama and little Langdon to Elmira for the summer. When in Elmira, Langdon began to fail, but I think Mama did not know just what was the matter with him. I was the cause of the child's illness. His mother trusted him to my care, and I took him for a long drive in an open barouche for an airing. It was a raw, cold morning, but he was well wrapped about with furs, and in the hands of a careful person no harm would have come to him. But I soon dropped into a reverie and forgot all about my charge. The furs fell away and exposed his bare legs. By and by the coachman noticed this, and I arranged the wraps again, but it was too late. The child was almost frozen. I hurried home with him. I was aghast at what I had done, and I feared the consequences. I have always felt shame for that treacherous morning's work, and have not allowed myself to think of it when I could help it. I doubt if I had the courage to make confession at that time. I think it most likely that I have never confessed until now. From Susie's Biography At last it was time for Papa to return to Hartford, and Langdon was real sick at that time, but still Mama decided to go with him, thinking the journey might do him good but after they reached Hartford he became very sick, and his trouble proved to be diphtheria. He died about a week after Mama and Papa reached Hartford. He was buried by the side of Grandpa at Elmira, New York. Susie rests there with them. S.L.C. After that Mama became very, very ill, so ill that there seemed great danger of death but with a great deal of good care she recovered some months after mamma and papa and 
Susy, who was perhaps fourteen or fifteen months old at the time, S.L.C., went to Europe and stayed for a time in Scotland and England. In Scotland Mama and Papa became very well acquainted with Dr. John Brown, the author of Rab and His Friends, and he met, but was not so well acquainted with Mr. Charles Kingsley, Mr. Henry M. Stanley, Sir Thomas Hardy, grandson of the Captain Hardy to whom Nelson said, Kiss me, Hardy, when dying on shipboard, Mr. Henry Irving, Robert Browning, Sir Charles Dilke, Mr. Charles Reed, Mr. William Black, Lord Houghton, Frank Buckland, Mr. Tom Hughes, Anthony Trollope, Tom Hood, son of the poet, and Mama and Papa were quite well acquainted with Dr. MacDonald and family, and Papa met Harrison Ainsworth. I remember all these men very well indeed, except the last one. I do not recall Ainsworth. By my count, Susie mentions fourteen men. They are all dead except Sir Charles Dilke and Mr. Tom Hughes. We met a great many other interesting people, among them Lewis Carroll, author of the immortal Alice, but he was only interesting to look at, for he was the stillest and shyest full-grown man I have ever met except Uncle Remus. Dr. MacDonald and several other lively talkers were present, and the talk went briskly on for a couple of hours, but Carol sat still all the while, except that now and then he answered a question. His answers were brief. I do not remember that he elaborated any of them. At a dinner at Smalley's we met Herbert Spencer. At a large luncheon party at Lord Houghton's we met Sir Arthur Helps, who was a celebrity of world-wide fame at the time, but is quite forgotten now. Lord Elko, a large, vigorous man, sat at some distance down the table. He was talking earnestly about Godalming. It was a deep and flowing and unarticulated rumble, but I got the Godalming pretty clearly every time it broke free of the rumble, and as all the strength was on the first end of the word, it startled me every time, because it sounded so like swearing. In the middle of the luncheon Lady Houghton rose, remarked to the guests on her right and on her left in a matter-of-fact way, Excuse me, I have an engagement, and without further ceremony she went off to meet it. This would have been doubtful etiquette in America. Lord Houghton told a number of delightful stories. He told them in French, and I lost nothing of them but the nubs. I will insert here one or two of the letters referred to by Jock Brown in the letter which I received from him a day or two ago, and which we copied into yesterday's record. June twenty-second, 1876 
Dear Dr. Brown, Indeed I was a happy woman to see the familiar handwriting. I do hope that we shall not have to go so long again without a word from you. I wish you could come over to us for a season. It seems as if it would do you good. You and yours would be so very welcome. We are now where we were two years ago, on the farm, on the top of a high hill, where my sister spends her summers. The children are grown fat and hearty, feeding chickens and ducks twice a day, and are keenly alive to all the farm interests. Mr. J. T. Fields was with us with his wife a short time ago, and you may be sure we talked most affectionately of you. We do so earnestly desire that you may continue to improve in health. Do let us know of your welfare as often as possible. Love to your sister. Kind regards to your son, please. As ever affectionately, your friend, Livy L. Clemens. Dear Dr. Brown, We had grown so very anxious about you that it was a great pleasure to see the dear familiar handwriting again, but the contents of the letter did make us inexpressibly sad. We have talked so much since about your coming to see us. Would not the change do you good? Could you not trust yourself with us? We would do everything to make you comfortable and happy that we could, and you have so many admirers in America that would be so happy and proud to welcome you. Is it not possible for you to come? Perhaps the entire change would give you a new and healthier lease of life. Our children are both well and happy. I wish that you could see them. Susie is very motherly to the little one. Mr. Clemens is hard at work on a new book now. He has a new book of sketches recently out, which he is going to send you in a few days. Most of the sketches are old, but some few are new. Oh, Dr. Brown, how can you speak of your life as a wasted one? What you have written has alone done an immense amount of good, and I know, for I speak from experience, that one must get good every time they meet and chat with you. I receive good every time I even think of you. Can a life that produces such an effect on others be a wasted life? I feel that while you live the world is sweeter and better. You ask if Clara is queer and wistful and commanding like your Susie. We think she is more queer, more quaint, perhaps more commanding, but not nearly so wistful in her ways as your Susie. I must leave a place for Mr. C. Do you think about coming to us? Give my love to your sister and your son. Affectionately, Livy L. Clemens. Dear Doctor, if you and your son Jock only would run over here, what a welcome we would give you. And besides, you would forget cares and the troubles that come of them. To forget pain is to be painless. To forget care is to be rid of it. To go abroad is to accomplish both.
do try the prescription. Always with love, Samuel L. Clemens. P.S. Livy, you haven't signed your letter. Don't forget that. S.L.C. P.P.S. I hope you will excuse Mr. Clemens' P.S. to me. It is characteristic for him to put it right on the letter. Livy, L.C. S.L.C. to Dr. Brown's son, Jock. Hartford, June 1, 1882. Dear Mr. Brown, I was three thousand miles from home at breakfast in New Orleans when the damp morning paper revealed the sorrowful news among the cable's dispatches. There was no place in America, however remote, or however rich or poor or high or humble, where words of mourning for your honored father were not uttered that morning, for his works had made him known and loved all over the land. To Mrs. Clemens and me the loss is a personal one, and our grief, the grief which one feels for one who was peculiarly near and dear. Mrs. Clemens has never ceased to express regret that we came away from England the last time without going to see him, and often we have since projected a voyage across the Atlantic for the sole purpose of taking him by the hand and looking into his kind eyes once more before he should be called to his rest. We both thank you greatly for the Edinburgh papers which you sent. My wife and I join in affectionate remembrances and greetings to yourself and your aunt, and in the sincere tender of our sympathies. Faithfully yours, S. L. Clemens. P.S. Our Susie is still Megalopis. He gave her that name. Can you spare us a photograph of your father? We have none but the one taken in group with ourselves. It was my fault that she never saw Dr. John in life again. How many crimes I committed against that gentle and patient and forgiving spirit! I always told her that if she died first, the rest of my life would be made up of self-reproaches for the tears I had made her shed. And she always replied that if I should pass from life first, she would never have to reproach herself with having loved me the less devotedly or the less constantly because of those tears. We had this conversation again, and for the thousandth time, when the night of death was closing about her though we did not suspect that. In the letter last quoted above, I say, Mrs. Clemens has never ceased to express regret that we came away from England the last time without going to see him. I think that that was intended to convey the impression that she was a party concerned in our leaving England without going to see him. It is not so. She urged me, she begged me, she implored me to take her to Edinburgh 
to see Dr. John, but I was in one of my devil moods, and I would not do it. I would not do it because I should have been obliged to continue the courier in service until we got back to Liverpool. It seemed to me that I had endured him as long as I could. I wanted to get aboard ship and be done with him. How childish it all seems now, and how brutal, that I could not be moved to confer upon my wife a precious and lasting joy, because it would cause me a small inconvenience. I have known few meaner men than I am. By good fortune this feature of my nature does not often get to the surface, and so I doubt if any member of my family except my wife ever suspected how much of that feature there was in me. I suppose it never failed to arrive at the surface when there was opportunity, but it was, as I have said, the opportunities have been so infrequent that this worst detail of my character has never been known to any but two persons, Mrs. Clemens, who suffered from it, and I, who suffer from the remembrance of the tears it caused her. End of section 32, Friday, March 22, 1906.